time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. It is finally Friday. And I'm filling in for Joe McLean today. My name is Rudy Carlos. Got a couple more days with me and Adrian. And, uh, well, it's the last day for Brent Haynes. But coming up next week, we have our good friend Mike Koeniger filling in for two days. And then Joe McLean should be back. Praise be to God. Keep praying for him and his family that they make it back safely. But today, as I said, is Friday, October the 28th, 2022. And today's the feast day of St. Jude Thaddeus and St. Simon the Zealot. Apostles. St. Jude Thaddeus and St. Simon, pray for us. Now, today on CDT, we have a very special guest. Maura Quinlan joins us today to discuss the overturning of uh, Roe versus Wade. Now, Maura has spent over 40 years using her legal skills to promote life. After graduating from the University of Notre Dame Law School, she took a position with Americans United for Life in Chicago, where she spent several years as Chief Staff Counsel, drafting statutes and engaging in litigation involving abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia in federal and state courts. So it's going to be an interesting conversation with her. Uh, Mora filed uh, numerous briefs on abortion to the Supreme Court. And most recently, she filed two briefs in the Dobbs case, which uh, led to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. One discussing the impropriety, uh, impropriety of the court's reliance on viability and the other dispelling many of the medical myths claimed by abortion proponents. And then at 15 past the hour, we're going to take a look at an article again on uh, can we find, can we really find happiness in the struggle? You know, we're going to, we're going to look at this, uh, this article together and, and look at how struggling together can change our outlook on things. Also, in the next hour, we have Dave Palmer, who's going to join us to talk about the intercession of saints. And it's going to be a really, really awesome show. Uh, but uh, in any case, we have uh, Adrian Fonseca on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. What are you up to this weekend? Oh, dude, it's going to be great. I'm headed out to Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. It's going to be a good oh, time. Oh, no way. And uh, there's a the TFP conference. Don't ask me what the conference is about because I don't actually <laughs> know. I kind of just signed up. and I think it's about know. tradition, family, and that's a safe bet. That's a safe bet. You know, I think that that's probably it's going to be something about that. I know there is going to be a talk about the reign of Mary. We actually did Ooh. an interview with the guy who's giving that talk a few months ago. So that'll be good. And um, you know, it, it's always a good time. They always have a very beautiful campus. So I'm very looking forward to that. And I'll be flying in Sunday. And so I'll be back on Monday. So y'all won't even miss me. Y'all won't even know I'm gone. <laughs> Unless... Unless. Who knows? Well, my flight got canceled today. I just got a text. Oh, no. So, I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> what if I like get canceled? Like, I guess by the I'll way, just do the show I'm, not solo. Get, I'm not getting in until uh, <laughs> 6 a.m. tomorrow, uh, Monday. Uh, so, who knows? Brent, you got any plans this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to catch up on my rest after Ooh, coming in and it's a good going idea. double duty here. But I'll be, I was glad to be here. And I'm going to, of course, catch up on the college football this weekend. Very nice. Sounds like a good plan. What is it? Bama? Bama? Oh, they played. Yeah, they're they're still always at the top. Speaking of which, I got a funny sports story, so make sure to stick around for the news segments there. But in any case, let's get started with the show. 
Let's start by praying for your holy intentions, for the conversion of sinners, and uh, for our CDT insider. For our CDT insider, um, one of our our good friends, uh, his family suffered a miscarriage. So we're going to offer this memorari for for him, for his for his wife, and for his entire family, that uh, good Lord may comfort them in this very difficult moment. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Today is Friday, October the 28th, and here are your headline news this morning. This one, uh, this article comes from the Washington Examiner. The headline goes, Florida Father Sues School Over Gay Pride Flags and Topics. The lawsuit alleges that the father's 12-year-old son told him his computer science teacher had two gay pride flags displayed in her classroom. That's one too many. And that the teacher used a search engine to find websites about homosexual lifestyles and proselytize to the student in the class. The father says he complained to the school, but officials refused to give uh, reasons for dismissing his complaints and did not follow through with a compromise to move his son to a different computer science class. Breitbart News reports Democrat Representative Jamie Raskin defends woke war against Russia. He says, quote, Moscow right now is a world center of anti-feminist, anti-gay, anti-trans hatred, as well as the homeland of replacement theory for export. Raskin from uh, Maryland said on October 25th in a statement that was issued after 30 progressives withdrew their plea for peace talks. He continues saying, quote, Russian dictator Vladimir Putin is an imperialist and a colonizer. Raskin said in his letter, which was released just two weeks before the Democrats are expected to lose in midterm elections. God willing. Ground News reports Biden and Harris to make rare campaign appearance as duo to help Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Biden and Harris will, lead, will head to Pennsylvania rather to campaign together today, a rare occurrence for the duo who typically don't travel alongside one another. Fetterman's race could determine which party controls the 50-50 divided Senate. And Reason.com reports judge dismisses lawsuit against TikTok over child's death in blackout challenge. This is uh, yet another uh, poor child who was victimized by this technology. The so-called blackout challenge involves participants and asphyxiating themselves with household objects until they pass out. Nyla, a young girl, watched... Uh, uh, blackout challenge videos before apparently attempting it herself. Since 2021, at least eight children have died after allegedly attempting the challenge. Despite TikTok's algorithm promoting the challenge to Nyla, Judge Paul Diamond of Pennsylvania dismissed the lawsuit, citing Section 230 as justification. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is, well, it's two. It's Saints Simon and Jude, Apostles. A tradition attests that the two apostles went to evangelize Ar Armenia and Persia and that they suffered martyrdom in the city of Sunar in the year 47. St. Simon was also called the Zealots, probably because he had been a member of the Nationalist Party of Zealots, who refused to recognize any foreign yoke over Palestine. The mother of St. Jude Thaddeus was Mary of Clophis, a sister-in-law of the Blessed Virgin who with the Virgin Mary stood at the cross of Jesus uh, on Calvary. 
His father was Clophus of in Aramaic. It was Clopas, a brother of St. Joseph. Therefore, he was the legal cousin of the man-god. Jude was one of those that his fellow countrymen called a brother of the son of the carpenter. Because it was a custom among the Jews at the time to call the cousins brothers. He wrote an epistle to combat the Gnostic heresy, which was just beginning to appear at that time. In 1605, the relics of the two apostles were transported to the Vatican Basilica and placed in a crypt under the altar of the crucifixion. Tradition tells us that it was the site where the cross of St. Peter once stood. St. Simon's Basilica in Toulouse, France also had some of their relics. There are several facts worthy of consideration in this selection. The first is the fact that St. Simon was called the Zealot. The Zealots were those who had a special zeal for the independence of the Palestine. That is, they did not want the Holy Land to fall into the hands of any pagans whatsoever. Since the Zealots caused had some good points commendable in some aspects, we understand why our Lord recruited one of his apostles from its numbers. St. Jude was a cousin of our Lord. He was not the only cousin. St. James the Lesser was also his cousin. It seems that St. James the Greater and St. John were also closely related to Jesus Christ. This shows the extraordinary predestination of the race of David. If just one apostle belonged to this race, that would have been enough to immortalize it. However, to demonstrate his love for the stock of David, not only did God choose to descend from this race, but he chose most of the apostles from it. It also shows God's consideration for legacy. We see the lack of wisdom and absurdity of these egalitarian persons who attack the principle of inheritance in society. This erroneous position can be refuted by thousands of episodes in Scripture. St. Jude is a patron saint of desperate causes, the patron of the impossible. And many times in our counter-revolutionary life, we feel the disproportion of our means in relation to those of the revolution that we are called to destroy. To some of us, it may appear impossible to win this battle. So when a temptation of discouragement assaults us, we should have recourse to St. Jude. In our days, we are witnessing the usurpation of Holy Mother Church by progressivism, which is a doctrine different from the Catholic doctrine. We should ask St. Simon to communicate to us the zeal we showed for the Holy Land. With his zeal, we should fight any impure doctrine that exists in the church and expel it from her bosom. Thus, on this day, when we commemorate the martyrdom of these two illustrious apostles, we should ask St. Jude to restore our courage for the fight against the revolution. Then we should ask for St. Simon's zeal, so that the reward, the renewed courage, we will become a blazing torch against the enemies of the Holy Church. This is from the Saint of the Day of Professor Plenio Correa de Oliveira. Saints Simon and Jude, apostles, pray for us. Amen. So be it. Thank you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, and the son of Alphaeus, James the son of Alphaeus, rather, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Adrian, what does our good friend, uh, some would say St. Cornelius Alapide, have to say about the gospel today? Yes, I mean, we could spend the entire rest of the day just talking about the verse 12 there, but we're just going to briefly cover a couple points. Cornelius Alapide says, Figuratively, Christ teaches us to pray in the night season, that we may be better able in silence and solitude to collect our thoughts and lift our hearts unto God, that we may be preserved from terror by night and from the pestilence that walketh in darkness, and also that by our prayers during the night we may obtain special spiritual graces for the profit of our fellow men during the ensuing day. This is important because, you know, our Lord prayed at night, and he spoke and taught during the day. St. Paul also did the same thing. St. Paul would pray at night, and he would teach during the day. And this is the same thing that would happen with many of the saints. I'm thinking most clearly of St. Dominic. St. Dominic would go out, and he'd be preaching all day long. And at night, instead of sleeping, he would go to the chapel, and he would stay all night in the chapel Praying, what will become of poor sinners? What will become of poor sinners? That was the prayer of St. Dominic. So too, in our lives, our lives are hectic, they're busy, they're always constantly moving about. Here's an idea from Cornelius Alapide. You're working during the day. You're doing all these things. At night, put your phone away. Put your technology away. Turn your computer off. Turn off all technology in your room. Put everything away. And if you have family, if you have kids, as soon as they're asleep, I know you may. This may be more difficult and based on your your state in life, but try to find a moment at night where you have nothing else to do. Put all the distractions away and get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray because if you lay down and pray, you will fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So take a knee, a kneel, kneel down and pray at night because the silence of the night will help you concentrate your mind. It'll help you focus on our Lord. It'll help you focus on the things that you're trying to meditate upon. And this example comes directly from our Lord. So if we would like to imitate our Lord, we'd like to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, here is an example of our Lord showing us in the manner of which we should pray. Now, we only have a couple more seconds left, so I'm going to say one last thing. Here, he's praying for the vocation of the apostles. He's praying for those he's calling to bring about their their vocation in life. So let's use our prayers and ask for, for that our Lord bring us priests, that he bring us holy priests. That is our prayer. That's what we should be praying for. Uh, stay tuned. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about happiness. So stay tuned. It'll be a little bit of a lighter fare. So stay on. We'll talk to you in just one second. God bless you. God love you. See you in one moment. dialogue with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me. It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth. Plain absurdity. Now, the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com.
Doc, where are you taking this car? Great Scott, Marty! The Guadalupe Radio Network is saving so many souls, and by donating this car, it helps their future! And it's a great tax deduction. Yes! Just call 1-866-628-2277 or go to grnonline.com and click on Donate! That's heavy. No, Marty! Not heavy! It's charitable! Flux capacitor not included! Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Now, typically on this segment, we talk about what's concerning us. We find an article that uh, is concerning to us and uh, that we're sure is going to be concerning to you. But uh, it's Friday, people. Let's, uh, let's dive into something a little bit different. So we're going to take a look at an article from the American Conservative again. Actually, from the same author I, I uh, spoke about last Friday. I kind of like his writings. Uh, he seems to be a Catholic, seemingly, but uh, he had this interesting article earlier in September, and it's called In Praise of Thrift and Struggle. And when I read it, I thought about my my move here to Texas. I, I had this uh, idealized perspective of what Texas was going to be like. And I, I spoke to to uh, Mr. Burrier, who was in the studio yesterday. He's a, a good fan of, uh, of uh, Catholic Drive Time really helps us out all the time. And um, he asked me, well, how's the first year here in Texas? And I said, you know, I got to be honest with you. I had this fantasy that Texas was going to be cowboys and uh, tumbleweeds and the Wild West. And when I got here and uh, I realized... Uh, he shows up to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realized that the cities are pretty much the same everywhere. I was a little disappointed. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't just me that was disappointed. It was it was my wife who was disappointed too, and she she and I both struggled in very different ways in this first year. I believe it's almost almost a year now. I'm just a few short weeks off of uh, of, of it being a year here on CDT, but uh, we struggled in very different ways, and oftentimes we were struggling in in isolation. We weren't struggling together, and so it made everything a lot more frustrating. And so I thought this article was was really great to share. He talks about struggle and joy. So let's jump right into this article. It's from the American Conservative, written by Michael Warren Davis. title of the article is In Praise of Thrift and Struggle. And it starts off like this. He says, it's like the old saying goes, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times, and then good times create weak men, and weak men then go on to create hard times. It's a struggle. It's a tale as old as time. Actually, as sayings go, he says, this one is not so old, it's, but it's quite true. There's just one thing I would add. Hard times also seem to create happy men, whereas good times create a whole generation of miserable, and I'm just going to say expletive, there. Miserable expletives. I think about my grandfather Warren. After growing up dirt poor in the Great Depression, he fought in both World War II and Korea. Yet he was the kindest, gentlest man I've ever known. We've always been solidly, solidly working class. My grandfather drove an oil truck before joining the fire department. Yet he was also one of the smartest men I've ever met. And when he died, we found a copy of Charles and Mary Lamb's 
Tales from Shakespeare on his bedside table. That's really surprising, actually. You know, when when a loved one passes away and you have to sort through all of this stuff, you're very surprised at the things you find there. I don't think he was so unusual either. Just look at the numbers. From divorce rates to drug use, the greatest generation had us beat. In some demographic groups, even their life expectancy was longer. They didn't have as much formal education as we do now, but they read a whole lot more. And they had skills, too, useful skills. They could change a tire and replace an electrical outlet, among many, many other things. Now, this seems like a, an easy conservative talking point, he says. Instead, it's now fashionable in right-wing circles to poo-poo cozy writers like C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. We are too worldly-wise for hobbits and elves and magic wardrobes, right? I think that's true. I think there's a, a tendency to look at this, this sort of stuff and say, oh, that's, that's for children. Well, Lewis and Tolkien were both wounded in World War I. Lewis's uh, division was hit with a German shell, and his body was riddled with shrapnel. I found, or thought I found, that I was not breathing and concluded that this was death. I felt no fear and certainly no courage. It did not seem to be an occasion for either, he said. In his introduction to The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien notes that by 1918, all but one of my close friends were dead. Still, they refused to be cynical. What is our excuse? See, this is hitting hard for me right now. Because we really are living in one of the worst parts of the culture war. Um, working in this radio postulate and, uh, you know, our show deals with the headline news. We constantly see the culture war. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, if Adrian's not careful, Joe and anyone who participates on the show isn't careful, it's very easy to get sucked into this, this, uh, this cycle of cynicism. It's very easy to forget that God's permissive will is behind all of this and that there's a reason for all of this suffering. And he asks a great, a great question there. They refuse to be cynical. What is our excuse? We know that the battle is won. We know that Christ is on our side and that we're going to win eventually if we're faithful. But still, it's easy to find all of the, the problem and focus on the problem too much. He says, here's my theory. I think we struggle to be happy because we've never really suffered together. Of course, every man has his own cross to bear, but when we do suffer, it's a senseless, it's senseless and sporadic. We lose a mother to cancer or a child in a car crash. We've not been asked to sacrifice for a cause, something greater than ourselves. War is usually a good for bringing is usually good for bringing a nation together, he says. And we have no shortage of wars, yet look at how strongly our soldiers back peaceniks like Ron Paul. Sure, we fight, but nobody seems quite sure what we're fighting for. Washington is trying very hard to frame its shadow war with Russia as the struggle that will define our generation. Of course, the American people know that Putin is no Hitler. They don't want to lose their treasure, much less their blood, over a thousand-year-old regional dispute in Eastern Europe. Yet, ironically, we are being told to sacrifice more for this non-war in Ukraine than 
we ever did for our nation building schemes in the Middle East. And just wait until winter. I mean, we're just a few short uh, short weeks away from winter. If the cost of oil doubles or even triples, American families will struggle to feed themselves. Some of our countrymen might freeze to death. As always, our old folks in the rural poor will be hit the hardest. Still, just because the fight is pointless, that doesn't mean struggle and sacrifice has to be in vain. He says, I've been reading Dorothy Sawyer's classic essay of Why Work, published during World War II. The great lady novelist explains therein how war teaching, she teaches us about the real virtue of the value of things, rather. And it teaches us the hard way. We've been forced to back, we've been forced back to the social morals of our great grandparents, she observes. She says, when a piece of lingerie costs three precious coupons, we have to consider not merely its glamour value, but how long it will wear. When fats are rationed, we must not throw away scraps, but jealously use to the advantage what costs so much time and trouble to breed and rear. When paper is scarce, we must or we should think whether what we have to say is worth saying before writing or printing it. When our life depends on the land, we have to pay in short commons for destroying its fertility by neglect or overcropping. When a haul of herrings takes valuable manpower from the forces and is gathered in at the peril of the men's lives by bomb and mine and machine gun, we read a new significance into those gloomy words which appear so often in the fishmonger's shop. No fish today. This, I think, is the secret to our grandparents' happiness. It's the virtue of thrift. Thrift begins as a kind of necessary evil, but it survives as an act of gratitude. When you understand the true value of things, waste is impossible. You're thankful, truly thankful, for every slab of bacon, every scrap of paper. You desire less, and what little you have brings you more joy. He says, apparently, Queen Elizabeth still keeps her cornflakes in a Tupperware container, just as she did during the Blitz. Even now, there are Americans beginning to teach themselves the virtues of thrift. We are learning to bake our own bread and planting our own victory gardens. These are good, wholesome hobbies. They give us more satisfaction than watching something on TV or playing video games. They make our homes more beautiful, and they help us to be more present both in place and in time. And here I will share our experience of struggle. And I'm sure my beloved wife wouldn't mind me sharing this, but... Um, as I mentioned, when we came here as young parents for the very first time, kind of going off into the, the ether, into the unknown, and placing all of our trust into the divine providence of God, because coming here to, to Texas was a, a, a providential thing. We were praying for years that we would have the opportunity for my wife to stay home and to be a mother and, and fulfill her vocation as a mother uh, with our children. And I wanted to fulfill my vocation as a father and provide for them. And this was really, uh, this is really um, an important decision to make. It was, it was not easy to make this decision because we left everything that we knew back home. And so we trusted in divine providence. But uh, as, as new parents, it was difficult for us to, to settle down here because my wife was, was struggling with uh, an aspect of, uh, of motherhood. I was struggling with the, the idea that I had brought our family here into the unknown and uh, I was trying to feel my way into, in, in the darkness to try and establish us here. And at that, at, that, at that moment, we were struggling very differently. My wife was isolated in her, in her struggles. I 
was isolated in my struggles. And it felt as if sometimes that we couldn't, uh, we couldn't find the common ground there. We couldn't understand our own struggles. And eventually, we got to a point where we were butting heads. We felt as if we didn't understand each other. We felt as if we were uh, taking our, our struggles for granted. We were uh, not, not, uh, not giving enough credit to each other as to what was going on. And uh, at that moment, I realized that we were in two separate vacuums, and we had to bring it together. All of these different things that uh, led us out here, all of these different expectations that led us out here had to, had to die. They had to go away. I had to take away that fantasy that I had put in my mind that this is the way that the, the life was going to be, and instead realized that we had everything that we needed at that particular moment in time. I didn't need, you know, my friends to be with me here in Houston. I didn't need to have those connections that I had in, in California. I didn't need to have that uh, particular uh, style of apartment that we had back then. What I really needed was to come together with my wife and understand that we were struggling together, that we were in this together. And I know that's such a tropey thing to say. <laughs> it's a tropey thing to say because of uh, how that, that saying was abused. But when we come together and we realize that we're, we're really in this fight together in the culture war and that we're not alone despite however many different opinions we have on the problem, when we come together and understand that we're trying to restore Christendom into the world, then we're going to find happiness in the struggle because we're on the right side and Jesus is with us. Stick around. More breaking news after this short break. God love you. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so, anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website. Chesterton.org. I'll bet you know by now that Amazon Smile is a great way to support your favorite charity. And supporting the Guadalupe Radio Network while you shop is easy. Step one, just start off at smile.amazon.com. Step two, choose La Promesa Foundation as your charity. La Promesa Foundation is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio Network. And step three, enjoy your shopping. Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase to the La Promesa Foundation, and it doesn't cost you any extra. La Promesa Foundation and Guadalupe Radio Network, thank you. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now a couple more headlines for you. This one's from the European Conservative. The headline goes, Dutch schools offer children worms and insects as sustainable meat replacement. Sustainable in quotes, by the way. A video originally recorded by a Dutch media outlet shows a smiling insect ambassador and a politician handing out mealworms, lupine worms, and other insects 
to preteen students at a school in the city of Zwolle and has been circulating across various social media platforms. The activities recorded in the video are part of the Taste Mission Adventurous Proteins campaign, whose goal is to bring about behavioral changes to the unprejudiced, meaning impressionable children. The Daily Wire reports Philly Deputy Sheriff caught on camera illegally selling guns used by illegal alien in fatal school shooting, according to a report. Federal law enforcement officials arrested 29-year-old Philadelphia Deputy Sheriff Samir Ahmad on Thursday after they caught him on video allegedly selling firearms that were used in a fatal school shooting by an illegal alien to an FBI informant who posed as an illegal alien. The confidential informant paid Ahmad $3,000 for the firearms and told him that he was illegally in the U.S. and that he could be deported if he was caught with the guns. And here's our funny uh, sports story. This one's from the New York Post. Why a Phillies World Series win could spell disaster for Wall Street. Wall Street is likely rooting for the Houston Astros to beat the Philadelphia Phillies in the upcoming World Series since the markets have historically crashed whenever a baseball team from the city of brotherly love has taken the crown. Astute observers on Twitter noted over the weekend that the biggest economic downturns in our nation's history have coincided with Philadelphia baseball teams capturing the top prize. The city has won three World Series titles, one by the Athletics in 1929 and two by the Phillies in 1980 and 2008. 1929's title uh, coincided with the worst stock market collapse in U.S. history, signaling the beginning of the Great Depression. The Phillies won their first title in 1980 behind Hall of Famers Mike Schmidt and Steve Col Carlton and Pete Rose. That also happened to be, be the year that the U.S. economy went into what uh, was at the time considered the worst recession since World War II. And it would take the Phillies nearly 30 years to win another World Series title when they prevailed over the Tampa Bay Rays in 2008. While Philadelphia celebrated its heroes, the nation was in the throes of the Great Recession a global economic meltdown that was caused by the bursting of the U.S. housing bubble. So, I don't know, I guess, go Astros? Those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Back to you, Brett. Thank you. Thank you, Rudy. Good morning. We have Maura Quinlan with us this morning. Uh, we're revisiting the life issue, and we're fortunate to have Maura with us. Uh, Maura is a 40-plus year attorney. She has dedicated her career to pro-life legal work and also to religious liberty legal work. She graduated from Notre Dame Law School. Um, she worked as the chief staff counsel for United for Americans United for Life for several years, uh, which is headquartered in Chicago. Then she moved to Pennsylvania, where she worked on religious liberty issues and pro-life issues. And a lot of pro-life advocates will remember that back in 1992, uh, there was the huge Supreme Court case of uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey because Planned Parenthood challenged a Pennsylvania law that they said attacked a woman's right to abortion. At the time, pro-life advocates were very hopeful that the Supreme Court would correct its error in Roe, and instead, the Supreme Court uh, changed the entire rationale that preserved the so-called right to abortion. Well, Mora was the primary drafter of mm. that Pennsylvania law, and she worked with the Pennsylvania Attorney General to defend that law all the way from the trial court up to the United States Supreme Court. Then, after the Supreme Court, uh, you know, changed everything on abortion, but still kept it in place uh, for uh, women, uh, Mora continued her pro-life work, 
And fast forward to the Dobbs case, and Mora wrote not one but two amicus briefs that went to the Supreme Court in Dobbs. Now, an amicus brief is a brief that lawyers write when they want to give a court their opinion on a case. And honestly, uh, a lot of justices, especially at the Supreme Court, probably don't pay a lot of attention to amicus briefs, or they just have one of their clerks read them and perhaps see if there's anything interesting. But in Morris' case, during oral arguments in, in Dobbs at the U.S. Supreme Court, there was one amicus brief mentioned by Chief Justice Roberts, if I remember correctly, and he actually mentioned Morris' brief. Out of that's just one brief out of more than 140 that were filed, and usually they don't even mention an amicus brief. Uh, so we're glad to have you with us this morning, uh, Ms. Quinlan. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, when you were preparing this brief and in other work you've done, uh, you uh, included in your legal research looking at Justice Blackmun's papers which he had made public. Usually uh, justices don't make their papers public or don't make them public as quickly as he did. But he made his papers public, and you found something interesting in there when you were doing your legal research on uh, the abortion issue, didn't you? I did. I'm not the only person who has found it, however. (laughs) Um, And you never know whose briefs they're uh, looking at. But we did mention in our brief that... um, there was a, a great deal of information to be found in the Blackman papers. Um, basically, everyone was saying, Casey said, uh, all the commentators, oh, Roe was a wonderful decision. It was crafted carefully and it had sound legal reasoning and it's all this reasonable decision. In reality, it's a very radical decision, um, and it's built around uh, the concept of viability, which is uh, a time during pregnancy where uh, the unborn child can survive. It's developed far enough that it can survive outside the womb. Now, at the time of Roe, that was around 24 to 28 weeks, they said, which, if you think of it, is not a small baby. We're talking six to seven months in pregnancy. Um, so, you know, this is this is what we were dealt in row was this very broad and radical decision that you couldn't prohibit any abortions or whatever reason um, up until the time of viability. And they left the decision of what is, whether a baby was or was not viable entirely in the abortion provider's hands. So um, as a practical matter, it it really doesn't limit abortion at all, but it gave the court the opportunity to kind of hide behind this concept that a lot of people really didn't know. So, um, and, And the courts are not supposed to be making law. They're supposed to be interpreting statutes and reviewing the Constitution and finding language that supports their position. But this concept of viability uh, was created entirely by Blackman, apparently. Um, I mean, it was, it's a concept that is sensible in other, in a non-abortion context, because you're trying to determine how you can in, advance the survival of the baby. But, um, in, in the concept of abortion, it certainly was not raised by any of the parties. They had argued on one side that they had an absolute right 
to have an abortion throughout pregnancy. The state was arguing that it had a right to protect the unborn child's life throughout pregnancy. And none of the statutes mentioned viability. So it was kind of out of thin air that this concept came into the whole abortion con the whole abortion discussion. Um, and it really was not, if you look at Blackman's papers, the, uh, he had written two drafts already for his opinion. And then <clears throat> the second draft said, oh, abortion would be allowed only until the end of the first trimester. Then in his third draft, he changes the end of the first trimester to this concept of viability. And um, his memo that he put out to the court with that uh, draft opinion said something like, or I think maybe it was a memo to one of the other justices, but he said, um, you know, uh, the first trimester and viability are equally arbitrary concepts. Um, And then he goes on to say, but I could go with viability if it could command a, a majority of the court. So these are not the types of decisions that should be being made by courts, they're basic policy decisions, and courts are not supposed to be out there drawing arbitrary lines. It's almost as if he was trying to round up a legislative majority as if he were a member of Congress or a state legislature. Well, it's unusual. I mean, I don't know how unusual it is for justices to make decisions like that, but when you see it in black and white, and you know that this is just being drawn into the case based on his own personal views. And, you know, they, he even goes so far as to say at one point something like, well, as a practical matter, it would allow women who are, aren't, uh, who are in denial about their pregnancies to have more time to abort. Well, these are not, you know, these are, you, you have the, members of the court who are not elected making these policy decisions for pragmatic reasons in their view and it really is not the way a momentous decision should be made it's not carefully reasoned it's not sound legally it's just kind of thrown out there well and so that uh You know, most pro-life advocates who follow the issue closely are already familiar with this, but uh, for, you know, others, it's important to remember that, you know, you and I are lawyers, and when we go to law school, we learn that judges are supposed to make legal decisions according to precedent, uh, according to the standards and principles that have already been established. We're not supposed to be acting like legislators. Um, We're going to go to the break. After the break, we're going to come back with more appointment, and we'll talk about how this is still relevant. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. We have Maura Quinlan with us this morning. She wrote the only amicus brief in the Dobbs case that was mentioned at the Supreme Court oral argument. Uh, We've been talking about how the Supreme Court, and especially Justice Blackmun in Roe v. Wade, essentially created out of thin air a a completely arbitrary concept of viability to come up with a rationale as a basis for abortion. Maura, we've seen since the decision in Dobbs, the expected attacks on the U.S. Supreme Court, the claims that the court is uh, out of touch, that it's extremist, that it is uh, that it needs to be reformed. Uh, we even saw uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader now for the, United, for the United States Senate, standing in front of the Supreme Court after the Kavanaugh, uh, during the Kavanaugh or after the Kavanaugh uh, nomination process and uh, approval his uh, uh, appointment to the Supreme Court was approved, you know, saying to the Supreme Court, you will reap the whirlwind. So this uh, exploration of the idea that uh, Blackman created uh, viability as an artificial, arbitrary concept to uh, just or justify a woman's constitutional right to abortion is still relevant, isn't it? Because the Supreme Court can't fairly be called illegitimate or extremist if they're correcting a previous decision that was itself one that was not based in judicial history or judicial reasoning, but was instead based on an arbitrary uh, concept. Uh, Well, obviously, I agree that the court was not doing anything radical. It was simply just correcting a a grievous error that was uh, put forth by the court about 50 years ago. At the time that Roe was decided, 30 states still banned abortion except for the life of the mother. And even those that had liberalized them didn't go anywhere near as far as Roe had done. So uh, the vast majority of those, you know, they had some limited reasons why they would allow it, but hadn't said, well, it's okay for any reason. And although the court itself, Blackman's opinion says, oh, we're not allowing, this, there's no absolute right to abortion. As a practical matter, what they did was to create a, a, an absolute right by putting this viability decision in the doctor's um, pretty much unreviewable 
hands. You know, he gets to determine when the baby is viable and what does viable mean? Well, it's in their view, well, capable of meaningful life. Well, when, you know, and they kept changing the definition of viability in subsequent uh, decisions too. And so they expanded it to such a point that it really was very difficult. I mean, would be very difficult for any prosecutor to bring a case um, even after viability. But you know, it, the, the whole idea of this, you know, I, I've seen people, oh, it's just changes in the court. Every decision that overturns a previous erroneous decision relies on changes in the court personnel. If you look at um, Brown versus Board of Education on the uh, separate but equal uh, doctrine that was in Plessy versus Ferguson, well, it, it was a change in the court that brought about the overturn of that, yes, but it wasn't because of the personnel per se. It was because the reasoning of the earlier decision was so poor. And... Um, it was just a course correction, and I would say the same thing is true here, that it's a course correction. The, you know, the criteria were silly that they used, oh, it has biological justification viability. Well, a baby that was 23 weeks along in 1973 was clearly not viable. Today, that baby would be viable, but the biological nature of the baby hasn't changed. A 23-week-old baby is pretty much the same as a 23-week-old baby in 1973. So the decision itself was not well-reasoned. And then, I'm sorry, go go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, and then just a few years later in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which you were very involved with, right? You you were a primary drafter of the legislation to begin with. You You worked on the litigation all the way from the trial court to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, didn't the Supreme Court in Casey essentially admit that Roe was poorly reasoned, but they wanted to preserve, and there was the hope of all the pro-lifers that abortion, you know, would be reversed, but didn't the court essentially admit that Roe was poorly reasoned, and that's why they changed the rationale, that's why a brand new concept, the undue burden standard, gets introduced. Isn't that what happened in Casey? Well, Casey was an almost overturn um, until very late in the term. Um, Justice Rehnquist had written an opinion, uh, I think it was dated like June 17th, if you look at the, the papers again, the internal court papers, which was was drafted and stamped as a an opinion for the court. So that suggests that it was a majority opinion. That was like middle of June. Uh, within about nine days later, he puts out another opinion that's now a concurring and dissenting opinion. And in that little short period of time, the three votes, or at least some votes, had changed from a majority opinion to make that a a dissenting and concurring opinion. Um, So it was very close call. I I would say that the, the three votes on uh, Casey to continue. There were four votes to overturn, three to uh, had a joint opinion that basically gutted Roe in many respects, specifically overturned two cases. But they did all of this, two prior Supreme Court cases, parts of them, 
but the court did all this claiming to be sticking to stare decisis, which is a concept that means you don't overturn prior precedent because it was properly decided, um, <clears throat> or just because it's long-term precedent. But So it's kind of crazy to be saying, oh, we have to reaffirm Roe because of stare decisis, while you at the same time are doing away with the trimester's framework and saying, oh, it really is just viability and pre-viability and post-viability now. You're, as you say, instituting a new undue burden standard instead of the strict scrutiny standard that was present in, in uh, Roe versus Wade. And you're, um, you know, do, doing all of these major revisions to Roe while claiming that you're preserving Roe. It's, it's hard to understand. It really, if people want to be thoughtful, even for non-lawyers, if they want to be thoughtful, if they want to be fair, regardless of how they stand on the issue, they could they could look at these opinions, um, they could read informed sources, and they could find out that these criticisms of the Supreme Court of simply throwing out this well-established precedent are simply unfounded. These are just political attacks because they want to advance their agenda. Well, um, and one of the other things that typically you look at in terms of um, a stare decisis issue is, you know, has it stood the test of time? Well, it clearly had not. It's never, it was never really accepted by the people. You know, you look and you go, well, there's thousands and thousands of people marching on Washington, D.C. every year for 50 years or thereabouts. Now, that doesn't seem to be a very well-accepted opinion. It changed. It was at least, you know, multiple people on the court over the years said that it should be overturned. Justice O'Connor and Justice Kennedy, both of whom in Casey wrote the joint opinion saying it shouldn't be overturned. But in prior decisions, they had said that it should be overturned, that it was Justice O'Connor had called it on, said that it was on a collision course with itself. Um, you know that, and it was undermining other areas of law. And uh, you know, Justice Kennedy, just in the case just prior to Casey, had joined four members of the court to say that they should overturn the trimester framework of Roe. So it, it's not like it was a very um, stable decision that everyone had agreed to for all these years, and that suddenly people came in. It had been subjected to withering criticism by people from all stripes, uh, even people who thought the decision was a, a good outcome, thought it was bad constitutional law when it came down. So didn't didn't uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, the great women's rights advocate, who eventually, of course, became a, a hero to the left on the Supreme Court, didn't she herself criticize the rationale of Roe v. Wade? Well, I, I think she thought it would have been better. I, I can't remember the exact quote she had, but basically, I, I think she thought that the court should not have um, ruled as it did because it it took the issue away from the people and it prevented people from coming to some resolution which would be m- more to their um, acceptability, if you will. The, you know, the reason this, as I started out by saying, it's a very radical decision. It overturned the the laws of all 50 states, basically, and it 
away from the elected representatives of the people. And once it did that, well, it made it almost impossible to reach any kind of lesser consensus because it stood in the way of any compromise or any other uh, approach to it. Going forward, uh, now the issue is back in the states, uh, around the country in various states, uh, there are fights in legislatures, uh, there are amendments that are on the ballots for state constitutions. Are there any common themes that you see going forward that pro-lifers need to be ready to address? Well, I mean, the pro-abortion side is still uh, claiming that there should be an absolute right to abortion throughout pregnancy, and they actually are coming, uh, they are making some good uh, strides in that direction on their on their behalf. Um, you look at New York, uh, just passed a very comprehensive law, I think Illinois as well, within the last five years or so, that uh, protect abortion very, very broadly. And, you know, things like parental consent laws were, would not survive these. There's been attempts at the federal level, the, the Congress has attempted to put in a, a very sweeping abortion law that would protect it. So, you know, that's something. But, you know, who's the extremist here is my view. The people who want abortion up until birth or to being children being dismembered or the people who are trying to protect life. Maura Quinlan, thank you for your work on behalf of life. And thank you for being with us on the Catholic Drive Time radio show this morning. Stick around. We will be back in the next hour. We have our game coming up in the next half hour. And this is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your mega church, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, 
I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox, goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com. Hi, I'm Omar. And I'm Natalia. And we attend Our Lady of Walsingham Parish. Thank you for listening to Catholic Radio on KSHJ 1430 AM. On the Guadalupe Radio Network throughout the Metro Houston area. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And uh, wow, that uh, conversation with Maura was was fascinating, really. She is uh, a staunch pro-life advocate. And uh, praise be to God for that, because we need them. It's really impressive, too. I don't think I've heard, uh, I've never heard about this, uh, this amicus brief. It's the only one that was referenced. It was the only one that was referenced. I remember listening to the oral arguments, and I remember the, the uh, Chief Justice mentioning it. I wonder if she felt like, whoa, I won the golden ticket. They well, picked my argument. It, it gives her a lot of credibility in the legal yeah, world. I bet. It does. What, I mean, would you not, do, what would you do if they picked one of yours uh, as an attorney? Well, uh, after you all interviewed me, you know, the first thing I'd do is I'd, I would come on the Catholic Drive Time Morning hey, Show. Let's go. After that, I think I'd uh, go take a vacation because uh, it takes a lot of work to write those amicus briefs. I bet. What are we talking about? Like, how many how many pages here? Are we talking about uh, like a seven, ream of a ream of paper? Or? You know, some of them can actually be very short because what they'll do is they'll write on a very narrow issue. Okay. But when you're writing a brief for the United States Supreme Court. Um, you know, every page, just a simple double-spaced typed page, uh, hmm. you're talking about hours and hours or, or days of research. I you mean, know, it's whew. funny whenever I hear you talk about, like, legal stuff. It makes me think about um, a lot of these uh, real, like, theology text uh, books on subjects of theology, and it's like a 500-page book on, like, a sentence. And they're like, and they they spend like the first like hundred pages saying we're not going to be talking about all these things, and like so if you're going to critique us, <laughs> we're not talking about these things. And then the rest of it, they're like, okay, we're going to talk about this one little detail about something. So that's that that's that that is a lot. What a lot of legal writing is about, and then you're done with that issue, and you move on to the next one. Everything has to be cited. Everything has to be sourced. You have to have your footnotes or your citations in there. Maybe I should be a lawyer. Hmm. Theology training, pretty good. theology training is good for lawyers, just like philosophy is, because it helps you to tr- it helps you to think analytically. We should have had like a complete four hour after show after yesterday's <laughs> show because we we all went into like a debate about we should just wear the Alex Jones question. <laughs> we should just wear mics every day after the show and then go do outtakes. Oh, uh, no, no, out- definitely not. <laughs> Well, it was very entertaining. And speaking about entertainment, today's a day that we send out traditionally the uh, the email email blast for Catholic Drive Time. We send out all of the interviews that we've done the week before, so you can catch up with those. And we also send out a piece of uh, entertainment for you. And this week, I think I'm going to be sending out a uh, piece of entertainment that was suggested to me by Adrian called Rome Open City. 
It's an Italian black and white film, so we're going to be sending that out today. But if you want to sign up for our email list, make sure to go to GRN online forward slash CDT, and you're going to find the links there. But I know earlier this week I, I rallied against technology and convenience, but uh, here's a convenient way for you. I personally wouldn't do this because I don't like convenience. But uh, if you want to sign up, a convenient way to do it is you take out your phone and you open up your text messaging application. And then you send the message GRN to the number 42828. 42828. Text GRN to 42828. And that's going to automatically sign you up to the email list. Uh, so that you can get to our, our email blast. We don't send the email five times a week. We send it out once. And so we don't we don't harass your your inbox in that way. But uh, it's a good way to keep keep in touch with us. And I think I'm debating, I don't know, Adrian, what do you think? Should we add the uh, Telegram, secret Telegram group to it to this week? I think we should. I think right. if uh, people want to join in our secret, top secret a Telegram group. Where you have we, to uh, get uh, security clearance to, to join. Get, it's, it's top secret. Only yeah. the biggest of big Catholic Drive Time fans are in that <laughs> chat, and uh, we we the insiders talk with them, as we call them. the insiders. We dialogue with them every day, and uh, it's, it's like a great the, time. Yeah, it's like uh, the after show. It is like the all after show, day long, all day, twenty four seven. And uh, <laughs> it, the best part about it is being able to hear y'all's prayer intentions and yes. be able to pray for each other. I think that's the best part. Amen. All right. Well, I'll, I'll include the link to join our our ultra secret Telegram group. You'll have to download the Telegram app and make an account there. But uh, in any case, it's a good time. We stay on pretty much all day long because uh, we love you guys. And uh, we love our insiders. Speaking of love, we have a good friend, Dave Palmer. He's joining wow. us today to discuss our good friend, St. Thomas Aquinas. Good morning to you, Dave. Wow, what an introduction. Gosh, you're associating me with uh, I love, you, man. love. I appreciate that, Rudy. Thank you very much. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. So what, uh, what, what specific topic uh, surrounding St. Thomas Aquinas are you talking about today on your show? Well, you Back remember, to the Father. remember last week we talked about ghosts, separated souls, and mm. it's all kind of tied into what we're approaching early, early next week with uh, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and also, right. you know, the the Halloween, which the culture seems to be obsessed with. And so today we're not talking about ghosts necessarily, but we're going to talk about the intercession of the saints. Mm. And of course, which ties in very much to uh, November 1st and All Saints Day. And I find it so perplexing, and I continue to find it perplexing, how little people talk about All Saints Day. And I know you guys were talking about this yeah. earlier this week with the, uh, the the priest guest that you had on about Halloween and everything. Yeah. And why the culture obsesses with the day before All Saints Day and death and ghouls and goblins and creepy stuff and really ignores these the communion of saints and the saints that we have up in heaven. So, you know, really excited to help us. Uh and most people are like, yeah, whatever. We're going to forget about that part. So we're going to talk about Aquinas' teaching on the intercession of the saints today. Yeah, it's such an important topic to remember. You know, uh, the, the saints are are constantly praying for us. And we have an opportunity here, a lifeline there. If you guys remember that TV show, what was that? What was the TV show with the lifeline? It was like a game show. They would ask questions. If you didn't know, you could, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? That's the one. That, Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, that's it. Well, we have a lifeline to the saints. 
we could ask for their intercession because they are in communion with God and they can intercede for us. Why do you why do you think people have forgotten this or have uh, maybe discounted this great opportunity that we have here? Well, I think well, one of my theories is that is it, there, there's this great kind of sense of equality that, you know, we, we are equal in dignity, but I think people have a hard time seeing just how much higher the saints are than us in, in, in regard to what they have already merited, where mm. they are, their association with God, and their willingness to help out. It's It's almost like, you know, a kid who has a wealthy parent who says, I want to help you go to college and I'll pay for it and I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a car. And they're, they're too proud to say, okay, will you please help me? You know, I don't know <laughs> if we have this rugged individualism, like we're going to get through this on our own and I don't need any help from anybody. But uh, we all know that we're, we're, you know, in the veil of terrors, we're trying to, mm. we're on a journey to, to heaven. And, and, you know, Thomas calls in, in the Summa, the saints, God's cooperators. He, he says that it is really, you know, to their glory, it's kind of like this is this is what they want to do. You know, there's a treasury of graces that overflow from the saints to us, but right. it's really contingent upon us humbling ourselves and actually asking and and de- developing a relationship with these saints. I think that's a really good point. Uh, the point of individualism. There is uh, among young men today. I think Adrian can speak about this as well. I think there's this growing trend of stoicism and just do it on your own and just kind of be an individual and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because we don't have to we don't have to struggle here in this veil of tears alone in fact we're in in very great companionship here um let me ask you this dave it's a prerequisite for us to become saints to enter into heaven you I'm sure you've heard that before and yeah, I, I've course. heard that myself as well what would you be the patron saint of <laughs> I would be the, probably the patron saint of herpetologists. Uh, <laughs> if you know what that is, now, <laughs> yeah. people are thinking like herpetologists. What's that? It's it, it's the, those who study reptiles and amphibians. That, that's my that's my hobby. That's what I like to do. So <laughs> people that like snakes and lizards and crocodiles and alligators and you know, you know salamanders that that they would come to me. I got a frog that's right outside of my door. And I've tr- been trying to, I, it's maybe, I think it's a, a toad instead. You might know the distinction. I don't. I think toads are bigger. People confuse like frogs and toads all the time. <laughs> this is I mean, a big deal. There's like, a toad outside of, of my house, and I want to know what kind it is. So I'm going to send a picture to you. Uh, well, when I die, ask for my intercession to help you understand that. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dave. You may have to wait. Hey, can I, can I mention one other thing? Of that course. Interesting? Uh, I find this interesting. I don't know, Adrian. I know Adrian's dug in a lot to the Summa as well, but there's one particular uh, reply to an objection where Thomas Aquinas talks about the intercession of the saints, mm. and he advises praying to the lesser known saints, which I find really ironic because he is not a lesser known saint. <laughs> yeah. And of course, as he, as he writes this, and he talks about kind of the the fatigue where we're always doing the same thing and we're always going to the same saints like you know mm. Francis of Assisi. Of course he doesn't mention himself or Saint Francis. Anthony when you lose yeah, something. Yeah and in fact he he actually he he mentions interestingly Saint Anthony because I didn't know this who's the saint of um what is it? It's about hellfire or something. Oh, wow. And he says 
And he also says, kind of group them up. He said, why, why just pray to one saint? Because you're going to be better off. Like if I said, hey, you know, Adrian, Rudy, you know, Joe, can you guys all pray for me? He says, you know, well, why, why just limit it to one saint? Say, pray to a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So I thought that was a very practical advice from Aquinas, who himself is one of the best known saints. Uh, Dave, uh, can you, are you going to be talking about the distinction between uh, Dulia, Hyperdulia, and Latria? And if so, could you give us a one-minute explanation? Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't planning on it, but now that you mention it, you, you kind of produced the show, uh, Adrian, by the way. You know, you whatever we talk about in the morning, <laughs> you, you kind of end up talking about. Um, and Okay, well, Dulia would, would be... Sentiment invoice. The, 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 Dulia would be the veneration that we have for the saints, um, those who are our creatures, Hyperdulia would be the veneration we have for Our Lady. So Thomas makes a distinction that uh, Our Lady is on a higher level than the rest of the saints. And then Latria would be the adoration and worship that is only due to God himself. Okay, so mm -hmm. sometimes people say, oh, the Catholics you know, worship the saints. Well, that that's the one-minute explanation of saying, no, we don't. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> uh, we, we, we have different levels of devotion. Uh, and we don't adore the saints. Awesome. Thank you very much. And, you know, one thing that's uh, interesting you were talking about a second ago, I had just seen a, a tweet because, you know, I'm, I'm notorious for being on Twitter. And someone put this long thread about being sad and being lonely and not having a lot of friends nearby. Everyone's so distant nowadays. And it, it really it really struck my heart. And I responded to the person. I said, I know it's not the same, but. It's also good to be aware of our guardian angels and the saints who are our dearest friends that are always with us. Mm. And we should foster a more intimate relationship with our heavenly friends. Uh, what do you think about that idea and the, that response, uh, Dave Palmer? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, as, as I mentioned, this uh, it is to their merit. And, you know, the there's an overabundance and an overflow of merits from the saints. And so it's almost like you, you know, it's like you can imagine them up there really wanting to help us wanting the relationship okay and, and they they do have a, a desire to help us and they want they want to be our friends to your point adrian and so but the friendship has got to be two ways so we have got to reach out to them and they're more than willing to help us and uh, we've got you know literally you know uh, gosh probably my millions of them up there in, in heaven now not all millions of canonized but yeah uh, millions of saints and we can pray for the intercession of our loved ones who we believe uh, could be in heaven of course pray for them as well because they might be in purgatory but uh yeah without a doubt Awesome. Well, Back to the Father is going to run on YouTube, so you can go onto YouTube, type and in Facebook and Facebook, uh, search for uh, Back to the Father Guadalupe Radio Network, and I'm sure you'll find that it's running today at 1 p.m. Is that correct, Dave Palmer? Yeah, that's right, Rudy. One 1 p.m. Central. Awesome. And I love that uh, you you do it on the social feed because you can interact live. I'm sure you get all kinds of questions during the show and their very own game show as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do a little trivia at the end, which is kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, we do have some regulars. So a lot of the same folks that listen and, and watch you guys in the morning will nice. you know, join us in the afternoon. So we've got some of the, the diehards. And so we invite anybody who's listening or watching right now to join us. One o'clock Central, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, GRM pages. Praise be to God. Thank you so much, Dave Palmer, for joining us. Dave Palmer hosts the show Back to the Father. Make sure to check it out today at 1 p.m. Central. But it's time for our game show. 
So you need to call right now, 1-877-757-9424. Call right now. Prizes are at stake, 1-877-757-9424. In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. Jesus is the only foundation, Jesus is the only Lord, and Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord, and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I am not Joe McClain. I am Rudy Carlos filling in for Joe McClain. I have a few more days to go before Joe is back here, but praise be to God, we are here on Catholic Drive Time, and now it's time for our game show, Fear and Trembling. And today, we're, be- we're going to be giving away our prize, which happens to be, as I promised to reveal today, a gift card to 10 books. So you could win today, but first, we need a caller, one 877 757-9424. Call right now. You could be the first person on the line. Adrian Fonseca is ready to take your call. Call one 757 9424 But Joe says that there's uh, there's hidden agendas here on Catholic Drive Time, on fear and trembling. And some of you might be wondering, how do you play this game? Or you might be saying to yourself, I don't know, I... I'm in fear and trembling, and I, I just don't, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to call in, because what if I don't know the answers? Well, our secret agenda is this. Don't tell anybody. You don't have to know the answer to any of the questions that we're going to ask today, because I'm going to ask Brent Haynes, attorney Brent Haynes, 
And I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca, PhD in everything. And all you have to do is discern who's telling the truth and who's telling a lie. But first, to play the game, we need somebody to call right now. one 757 The prize this week was a mystery. It was a mystery grab bag. I wanted to see. I wanted to entice you. I wanted to, to delete your thoughts. What exactly is in there? Well, today I'm revealing to you that our gift card, sponsored by CDT, is a gift card to the, the Tan Bookstore. You could pick out all kinds of different things, especially... I think it's really cool about town books is sometimes they have sales. You can get books for $5. So imagine how many books you can get. I've fallen for that trick. Oh, it's not a trick. Come on, Brent. Yeah, and then a box of books arrives. And, and then you never read them? It goes into, it goes into the stack of the hundreds of other books I have at home. <laughs> uh, it happens to the best of us, my friend. I have a couple books on the shelf I have not gotten through yet. But in any case, it seems like we do have a caller here, and we're going to be playing our game show. Now, in case you're new here, fear and trembling, as I mentioned, if you want to call in next week, maybe you missed your chance, all you have to do is call, but you don't have to know the answers, because I'm going to ask Attorney Brent Haynes, and I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca, the the uh, PhD in everything, the question, and uh, then you just have to figure out who's telling the truth, who's telling a lie. Well, it looks like we have a caller here on the line. Patrick from Beauville, Texas. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, It's uh, Stonewall, Texas. Oh, Stonewall, Texas. Stonewall, Texas. Hey, Patrick, my friend, do you mind turning down your radio? Yeah. Just getting a little feedback there. Very good. Patrick, how are things in Stonewall, Texas? Um, they're, they're doing pretty good. Nothing. It's raining a lot right now. Though. Really? And uh, where do you go to church there? Um, I go to St. Saint, Saint Mary's Catholic Church in uh, Fredericksburg, Texas right now. Wow, Fredericksburg. Oh, I love the hill country. It is so beautiful there. Yes, sir, it is. Well, uh, maybe you could send us some peaches here to the studio. But in any case, have you ever played the game? Uh, I have not. Do you know how the game works? No, sir, not exactly. Okay, no problem. I'm going to explain it to you right now. You don't have to know any of the answers to these questions because what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Brent Haynes and then I'm going to ask Adrian Fonseca. And one of them is going to tell you the correct answer. Another one is going to be very sneaky and tell you the wrong answer. And all you have to do is decide who's telling the truth, who's telling a lie, and every single correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Are you ready to go, Patrick? Yes, sir, I am. All right. Well, I'm going to go to attorney Brent Haynes. Good morning, Brent. Good morning. Shall I ask you three times how you are? Not again. How are you, Brent? Uh, the correct answer is I just want uh, I just Rudy. want all of our listeners out there to you know, know that they can always trust their attorney. <laughs> Unless maybe they're playing this game show. Oh, Brent, you are very tricky. So let's start with you. What is the name of the Russian Pope? In the 1958 movie, The Shoes of the Fisherman, portrayed by Anthony Quinn. And, you know, interestingly, I think when you look at it, he was actually a Ukrainian pope. But anyway, hmm. uh, it's been a few years since I've seen the movie. Um, I encourage you to go out there and watch it. Um, but his uh, name was Theotokos. Theotokos. Oh, wow. What a beautiful name. Wow. Okay. Well, Patrick... Uh, you got Theotokos from Brent. Adrian, let's get your take on this. That's what was name? the name of the Russian Pope in the 1958 movie, 
The Shoes of the Fisherman, portrayed by Anthony Quinn. Yeah, the Pope, the Russian Pope, and the 1958 movie, The Shoes of the Fisherman, was Pope Kirill the First. Pope Kirill the First. Hmm. All right, Patrick, you got options here. Brent Haynes says that uh, it was Pope Theotokos the First. He would be Pope Theotokos the First. Okay, Pope Theotokos the First, and we have Adrian with Pope Kirill the First. Uh, Patrick, what say you? Um, I think I'm going to go with Pope Kirill. Mm, are you sure? Jesus be to God, you're in for one. <laughs> Way to go, Patrick. Way to go, brother. All right. Wow. I can't fool him. You just can't fool him. Patrick he's a wise clearly, man. Yeah, he's clearly he's a, a very wise man. young, handsome, wealthy, tall, tall, good looking. <laughs> I clearly, you yeah. know, you can tell whenever someone guesses Adrian is correct. That's how you know. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, let's go back to Adrian here for the second question. Adrian. Where is the Camaro worn? Camaro. Camaro. We're talking cars here? Camaro? Where, where's the Camaro? Camaro? The Camaro? Camaro. Where, where is, is the, the Camaro worn? Ah, yes. Well, those are the, the uh, papal slippers. The papal slippers. Yep. He wears okay, them to bed. So he wears them on his feet. He wears them say. on his feet. All right. Uh, well, hmm. Okay, we have Adrian on the board with uh, the feet, which would imply their shoes, the Camaro. Camaro. All right, let's go to Brent Haynes. Brent, where is the Camaro worn? You know, it's hard to keep track. It's a hard question, isn't it? It is one of the hardest questions we've ever had. It's hard to keep track of all of the different garments or everything that the uh, priest and the bishops and the archbishops and the pope wears. Yeah. you know, they have the stole, they have this, they have that. Uh, but the Camaro is worn on the Pope's head. Mm. On the Pope's head. So it's a hat? Hat of some sort. If you define hat as anything worn on the head other than headphones. Well, that's true. Okay. All right, uh, Patrick, we got options here. And uh, Brent says it's on the head. Whereas Adrian says that the Camaro was worn... On the feet, as if uh, some sort of slipper. What say you, Patrick? This one's really tricky, by um, the way. I'm gonna go, I think I'm going to go with it's worn on the head. Mm, okay. Oh, you got it Nailed there. it. The, Always trust your lawyer. Yeah, the Camaro was, uh, it literally means a camel skin hat. And so it was a, the, it's the red hat. If you see old pictures of Pope's. The red hat they wear with the white trim kind of looks like Santa's hat. Oh, so you could wear that one time out of the year here in Texas? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. In other places, they they wore it more often. Camel hair hat. Very nice. All right, let's go back to Brent Haynes for the third question here. And I think you're going to knock it right out of the park, Patrick. Brent? Come on, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. What is hyperdulia, Brent? Hyperdulia. Well, our Thomist will know this, or anybody who hangs around with Thomas. Uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about uh, praying to the saints, praying to the Lord, the difference. Well, and we're encouraged, as you were saying earlier, we should mm. be praying to the saints. Hyperdulia is when a Catholic prays to the saints regularly. You're like, and not just like 
once a week, but like every day, every week, every month. Praying to the Saints regularly. That's Hyper- Hyperdulia. Hyperdulia, prayer to the Saints daily. Okay, Adrian, what is Hyperdulia? Yes, Hyperdulia is the worship that we give to Mary, that giving her what she is worth. All right, we're running out of time here. Patrick, Brent says Hyperdulia is praying daily to the Saints. However, Adrian is saying it's worship of Mary. What say you, Patrick? Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, worship to the Saints because we don't worship Mary. Mm. Worship. Ooh. Oh. I told you, Adrian. All. Yeah. That was... The answer is that we worship Mary. We worship the saints. We worship God. We worship in different ways. Worship literally means giving to someone what they are worth, and we give to God sacrifice and adoration alone. Hmm. We give hyperdulia to Mary and dulia to the rest of the saints. That was a very tricky question, Patrick. But uh, in any case, you're in here, and I am shuffling right now from our week's contestants here, and I I'm gonna just let's see here. I'm going to take one right here. And Patrick, it's you, brother. Congratulations. We're going to get your information here. Stay on the line. We're going to get your information. But that's going to do it for our game show, and it's going to do it for our show here on Catholic Drive Time. However, if you want to keep the conversation going, we're going to go right into our after show. So make sure to go to GRN online forward slash CDT. You're going to see all of the different links linked up right there for all of the social feeds that we stream to. You can join us on YouTube. You can join us on Odyssey. You can join us on Rumble. You can join us on Facebook. You could be on LinkedIn. All of those links are conveniently put up there on GRN online forward slash CDT. And we would love to have a conversation with you in the after show. You lead the conversation. Tell us what's going on this weekend. In any case, it's been a fascinating, a fantastic week. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening. God bless us and Mary keep us. We will see you next week on Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us on your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the feast of the Holy Apostles Simon and Jude. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Let all on earth their voices raise, resounding heaven's joyful praise. To God who gave the apostles grace to run on earth their glorious race. 
Lord, at whose word they bore the light of gospel truth to darkest night, to us that heavenly light impart, make glad our eyes that cheer our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Today we celebrate the feast day of Saints Simon and Jude, two of our Lord's twelve apostles. Though unclear, it seems that they may have been brothers of each other and of St. James the Less and cousins of our Lord Jesus. They grew up in the Holy Land in Galilee in the first century. Following the uh, ascension of our Lord into heaven, it is said that both of them went and preached the gospel in different lands before eventually joining up together as a team and preaching in Persia, Armenia, and Lebanon, where they gave their lives as martyrs, perhaps in the year 65 AD. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Gloria in excelsis Deo, et in terra pax hominibus, bone voluntatis, laudamus te, benedicimus te, Adoramus te, glorificamus te, gratias agimus tibi, propter maniam gloriam tuam, glormine Deus rex celestis, Deus pater omnipotens, Domine Filii Genite, Jesu Christe, Domine Deus Agnus Dei, Filius Patris, Qui tollis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Quit all these peccata mundi, Sushipe de precationem nostram, Qui sedes ad exteram patris, Miserere nobis, Quoniam tu solus sanctus, Tu solus dominus, Tu solus altissimus, Jesu Christe, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria dei patris. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who by the blessed apostles have brought us to acknowledge your name, graciously grant, through the intercession of Saints Simon and Jude, 
that the church may constantly grow by increase of the peoples who believe in you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Their message goes out through all the earth. Their message goes out through all the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day pours out the word to day and night, and day pours out the word to day and night to night, imparts knowledge. Their message, message goes, goes out, out through all the earth. Not a word nor a discourse whose voice is not heard. Through all the earth their voice resounds, and to the ends of the world their message. Their message goes out through all the earth. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. We praise you, O God, we acclaim you as Lord. The glorious company of apostles praise you. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went up the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called a zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the feast day of two saints who are not so well known. Thus of Saint Simon, who is not nearly as famous as Saint Simon Peter, and Saint Jude, who is not nearly as famous, as infamous as Judas Iscariot. And indeed, when we look in the Gospels, um, it seems there's only one time that we actually see either one of them doing anything specifically. And that is St. Jude, who in the uh, midst of the Last Supper, asked Jesus a question. And it's in a chapter where Thomas had asked him a question, and he answered it, and Philip answered him a question, and he answered it. 
And then St. June asks him a question, and he seems to just ignore it and keep on going. So, Simon and Jude are not, to us, the most famous of the apostles. And yet, as we heard in the first reading, nevertheless, these two are amongst the twelve who are the foundation, right? We have this image of the church as a building where each of us are living stones connected one to another, and the apostles are the foundations. And Simon and Jude are among the foundations. Why? Because they had known our Lord Jesus, been with him during his ministry, heard his teaching, seen his miracles, known him personally, witnessed his resurrection, and then were sent out, which is the meaning of apostle. They were sent out to bring this news to others, to bring this truth, to bring this grace, and thus to transform people's lives. And so it has been for you and me. You and I are built on this foundation, even if these two particular foundation stones we don't know so much about. And yet, and yet, nevertheless, as it happens with each one of them, there are perhaps some lessons that we can gain. The first is we consider St. Simon. We hear that he's identified here in the Gospel reading, Simon who was called a zealot. Now, what exactly this means is not entirely clear. The, the zealots were a, could be identified as a political party there in first century Holy Land who believed in the violent rebellion and overthrow of the Roman Empire, the expulsion of them from the Holy Land. And these were very active during the rebellion that would come in the 60s AD. Now, scholars debate about when exactly they were uh, active during the first century. Did they actually exist as a party um, during Jesus' earthly ministry? It's not clear. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Even if they did, it's not clear 100% were, were they saying that Simon was in fact formerly a member of this political party, or were they simply saying that he, like St. Paul, before his conversion, was very zealous for the law of the Old Covenant. So there's some, some lack of clarity here. But nevertheless, even if it was simply the lower one, that he was simply zealous for the law, we can well, well imagine that this is where he came out of before following Jesus as his disciple that he probably would have experienced some emotional difficulties inside as he saw Jesus going and associating himself with the various, various kinds of people who were publicly known to be sinners, as those who, who, in one way or another, were not following the law and everybody knew it. And perhaps especially when those, some of those people were the tax collectors, who not only weren't following the whole law, but were collaborating with the Romans, who Simon earlier perhaps had been very much wanting to violently rebel against. We can well imagine when Jesus called Matthew. And then when he made him an apostle, and Simon, who perhaps wanted to violently oppose the Romans, and Matthew, who had been collaborating with the Romans, needed to get along, needed to be brothers, needed to learn to love each other. And perhaps you and I might identify with what must have been an inner struggle within Simon for a time, as he had to learn that some of his political opinions and his zealous commitments needed to give way before Jesus who was doing something different, something powerful, and he needed to relearn where his true allegiance lied, that it lay with Jesus' love. So you and I may learn from this lesson from St. Simon. Now for St. Jude, we know of course that many people turn to him in prayer, seeking his intercession, especially in, in desperate times, impossible cases. It's speculated that perhaps this happened in the Middle Ages because people were so worried about accidentally calling upon Judas Iscariot in prayer that they never called upon St. Jude in prayer unless they were desperate. And of course, people have found that his intercession is powerful indeed. But 
we think about living in desperate times, then perhaps we may do well to listen to him in his letter in the New Testament. This is just a one-chapter letter. I'll read just a few verses from it. Early on, he writes and he says, I feel the need to write to encourage you to contend for the faith that was once of all handed down to the Holy Ones. And then later in the letter, he writes, But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. On those who waver, have mercy. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. If you and I sometimes feel like we live in desperate times, well, it sounds like St. Jude has some advice to us, which we might say, are we being built up like a building in the Lord? Well, it sounds like St. Jude is saying, you and I have a role to play in that building. First of all, building up ourselves, making sure that in these desperate times that we are listening to God's word, turning to him in prayer, and also building up others. It may be as simple as making sure that you parents speak to your children in words about your faith. I say that partly because when I am preparing for a funeral and I ask the family deceased about them, their life, and about their faith, too often the children will say in response to lots of questions asked about the faith, well, my mom, my dad, they didn't, they didn't really talk about the faith, they just lived it, you know, mass every Sunday. Here's the thing, that's not good enough in these desperate times. Parents, grandparents, you need to speak with words to your children about the faith. Or it might come in a different form. Do you know some children, some teenagers who are being raised in the faith? There's a study has shown that one of the things that can build up the faith in those children so that they are still practicing the faith when they are young adults is if they not only know their parents who practice the faith, but they know have relationships with other adults who practice the faith. That could be you. It could be as simple as that. Love them, be honest with them, and just be in a relationship with them. You who are living the faith so they come to know you, and that thing goes into them. In this way, we may do well in following the example and the foundation that St. Simon and Jude have laid for us, building up ourselves, even in these desperate times, building up the faith in ourselves and others that was handed to us through the apostles. Brothers and sisters, let us ask for the mercy of the Lord on this day on which the blessed apostles St. Simon and St. Jude, following the example of their master, poured out their blood to give testimony to the truth. And let us ask for the needs of all people. That the church, faithful to the teachings of the apostles St. Simon and St. Jude, may be a visible sign in the world of the invisible presence of her Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That God may transform our world and may hasten the arising of the new heavens and the new earth that the apostles of Jesus Christ announced. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That the light of faith may give courage to those who suffer and hope in the kingdom announced by the apostles lessen the sufferings of those who weep. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. That to all of us, gathered here to celebrate the martyrdom of St. Simon and Jude, the Lord may grant docility toward the bishops of the church who today occupy the place of the apostles. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, we ask that you hear the prayer of your church and grant your spirit in abundance to those to whom you have given the mission of spreading throughout the world the teaching of the apostles 
which illuminates and saves through Christ our Lord. Amen. From all thy saints in warfare, for all thy saints at rest, to thee, O blessed Jesus, all praises be addressed. Thou, Lord, didst win the battle, that they might conquerors be. Their crowns of living glory are lit with rays from Thee. Praise the Lord for Thine apostles who sealed their faith today. One love, one zeal impelled them to tread the sacred way. May we with zeal as earnest the faith of Christ maintain, and bound in love as brethren at length thy rest attain. Then praise we God the Father, and praise we God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, eternal three in one, till all the ransomed number fall down before the throne, and honor, power, and glory ascribe to God alone. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. As we venerate the perpetual glory of the holy apostles Simon and Jude, O Lord, we ask that you receive our prayers and lead us to worthy celebration of the sacred mysteries. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For you have built your church, to stand firm on apostolic foundations, to be a lasting sign of your holiness on earth, and offer all humanity your heavenly teaching. Therefore, now and for ages unending, with all the host of angels, we sing to you with all our hearts, crying out as we acclaim, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abahot, Plenisun celi et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. 
Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Mysterium fidei, mortem tua, annunciamus Domine, et tuam resurrectionem confitemur, donec benedias. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin, and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Father, we thank Thee who hast planted Thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and faith and life immortal, Jesus, Thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for Thy pleasure, didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal, thine is the power, be thine the praise. Watch o'er thy church, O Lord, in mercy, save it from evil, guard it still. Perfected in thy love, united, cleansed and conformed unto thy will. As grain once scattered on the hillsides was in this broken bread made one, so from all lands thy church be gathered into thy kingdom by thy Son. Let us pray. Having received this sacrament, O Lord, we humbly implore you in the Holy Spirit that what we do to honor the glorious passion of the apostles Simon and Jude 
may keep us ever in your love through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From everything. Hello, this is Father Charles Van Fleet, pastor of Regina Chaley Parish in Northwest Houston, where the traditional Latin Mass is celebrated. Thank you for listening to KSHJ 1430 AM, Catholic radio throughout Metro Houston on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Witchcraft and everything.